How are you guys doing this morning? Man, don't you love this spring weather we're having? Hey, so many of you guys know my brother who's having a lot warmer weather right now. He, he's a missionary down in Brazil. And he's a few years older than me. And if you, if you, I think probably a lot of you guys don't know that my brother was actually a really good athlete. Um, in high school, he was about five foot eight and he could dunk. Um, he, was, he was a very good athlete. But I remember his first baseball game. And he was like the best baseball player in the neighborhood, you know, the best player on his team. And it was this amazing game. And there was like all of this excitement on this game and came down to the last inning and, and his team was down by one point or one run. And he was up to bat. He was the, the, the last at bat. There was someone on second base. He was at bat and you just felt like he's going to win this game. Like, he's about to win this game. There's all this anticipation and excitement. And I just knew he's going to win this. He's going to win. So he gets up to bat, and he steps up to the plate, and he strikes out. And they lose the game. And it was, uh, it was really devastating. Even as for me, I was like so devastated. But I remember Christopher, my brother, when we were driving home, he said something that we still remind him that he said. He said, if I knew that life was going to be like this, I would have never been born. <laughs> he has a flair for the dramatic. But it was his first major disappointment. It was like the first time that he felt like so disappointed with something in life. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. I know how that feels to be disappointed. I mean, if I, you know, I have so many things in my life to be thankful for, so many blessings in my life, but if I allow myself to just really think through my life, I can think of so many times that I have been disappointed. So many times that I have invested in something, put my time and energy into something and hoped in something that would work out and it didn't work out or something that I thought was going to happen that didn't happen, or, 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 you know, even now I think of people in my life that aren't doing well, and it's just really disappointing, or people who are sick in my life. It's just, their life is full of disappointments. Life can be full of just hardships and disappointments. And I know right now some of you are like, why did I come to church? You said this was going to be an uplifting thing. No, but the, the truth is, is I don't want to stand up here and, and lie to you guys. I don't want to give you a candy-coated message that like, hey, when you give your life to Jesus, everything is great. Like you never have to worry about hard things. You're never disappointed. Everything is just awesome. Because the truth is, is the Bible is really clear that, that you are going to face hard things. You are going to be disappointed. You're going to face trials, and it's going to be difficult. It's going to be really hard, and, and I, I see heads nodding. I, see, I know that many of you guys can relate to that. When I look out, I just know some of you guys are facing major disappointments right now. Maybe you're stuck in a job that you hate. Like you somehow got involved in this, this field, and you just hate it, and you're like, I didn't get that promotion. I should have, I should have gone down this path, but I'm stuck in this dead-end job. 
Or maybe you got laid off, you don't have a job, and you're just, you're so disappointed. Maybe you're in a marriage that is just struggling, struggling, and it's not the marriage you thought it was going to be, and it is just rocky at this point. Or maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're not married. Maybe you thought, I would be married by this point in my life. I mean, all kinds, maybe your kids have walked away from the Lord. I mean, all kinds of things that can just leave us feeling disappointed. Life is full of disappointments. Life is really hard. And even if you don't relate to those things, then I am extremely jealous of you. No, but even if you don't relate to that, I talk to people all the time who will say something along the lines of, you know, I got the job I always wanted. Like, I've always dreamed of getting this job, and I, and I have it. I got a great spouse. I got 2.5 kids. And, you know, life is good, but I, I still feel like, I still feel disappointed. I still feel like there's something missing. I remember hearing an interview with Tom Brady a few years back. Tom Brady, if you don't know, is arguably the best quarterback of all time. It pains me to say that because he went to Michigan and he plays for the Patriots. Uh, But he, I mean, he is. He's a phenomenal, one of the most successful football players of all time. And I remember listening to this interview after I think he won his fourth championship. He's on number five now. And as a Browns fan, that hurts. Um, But he said, uh, the interviewer asked him, they said, which one of your rings, which one of your Super Bowl rings is your favorite? You know, was it your, was it your first one? You know, the one that you, that you, you, you know, dreamed about since you were a little kid? Was it your last one, the, the fresh one? He said, no, it's the next one. It's the next one. And the interviewer made a joke and it said, oh, it's never good enough for you, Tom, is it? And he had this moment of sincerity, this real like, amazing moment of sincerity where he said, yeah, what, why is that? Why does it feel like it's never quite enough? And I remember thinking about Tom Brady as probably as a little kid, like throwing a football around, just dreaming to probably play high school football. And then dreaming that maybe he could play collegiate football and, and then get into the NFL and then maybe, maybe start and then maybe go to the playoffs or, or go to the Super Bowl. And then eventually, what if I could win a Super Bowl? Then what if I could win another Super Bowl? And it just never feels like enough. It just always felt like there was something more that he needed. He still felt like a bit of disappointment with what he always dreamed about getting. And many of you guys can relate to that. So today I want to talk about disappointment. Because I think if we're honest, we can all relate to disappointment. What causes it? What causes us to be disappointed? And what do we do when we are disappointed? And so today we're going to be looking at John chapter 12. And so if you need a Bible, they're they're all around the the auditorium and you can grab one. And if you don't have one at home, please, please take it with you. But let me just pray before we jump in. So Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence here. 
And we just ask that you come and, and meet with us and that you would speak to us, Lord. We ask that the, the, the words that you have for us would just be really clear in your name. Amen. So like Michael said, we've been in the series of John, and today we're going to be looking at John chapter 12. We've jumped around a little bit. Last week we talked about John chapter 13, but, but this week, the reason that we're in 12, we're going back, is because this week is Palm Sunday, and we wanted to look at the story of Palm Sunday. It's just a little portion of John chapter 12. It's actually verse 12 through 19. And, and just as, as an aside, the first bit of John chapter 12, the first little story, is maybe my favorite uh, story in the whole New Testament. But John is the story of Jesus, basically, from the point of view of one of his best friends, John. And Palm Sunday is the, the Sunday right before Easter. And it was the time where, where Jesus came from Bethany into Jerusalem, and there was a huge celebration for him. So we're going to look at that story. And starting in verse 12, I'm just going to read it. It says, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Now remember, he had just raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. So it was a, it, there was a big crowd starting to gather and follow him. He's coming from Bethany into Jerusalem. And it says the people, they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him, and these things had been done to him. So now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the, the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So here Jesus comes after raising Lazarus from the dead and, and the news of what, he has, what he's done and the message that he's been spreading has begun to travel all around, travel all around and people from everywhere were coming to see him. He was like a, he was a celebrity basically at that time. And people were so excited about the things that he was doing and the things that he was saying. And they began to say, oh, this, this guy is the one we've been waiting for. He's the Messiah. And they were so excited. But there was a group of people as well, the Pharisees, who were the, the, the religious leaders, who hated him. They hated him from pretty much the very beginning. And it went from basically them being like, we need to silence this guy. We need to stop him to after he raised Lazarus from the dead, basically their plan went from let's silence him to let's kill him. So the plan is already in motion for them to, to, to kill Jesus. But here Jesus comes into town and this huge crowd, all the people of Israel are basically coming to Jerusalem for this festival and they all were waiting in town for him to, to, to come in and they're just celebrating him. 
calling him the king, waving these palm branches around. And just so you know, the, the significance of the palm branches were, you know, Israel has a, a really tumultuous history. As a, a really, if you look at the people of Israel, they've just had it really hard. You know, they re- basically went from under, you know, Egyptian rule, Syrian rule, Greek rule, Roman rule. Like, they were just constantly enslaved by people. And at the time where they were under Greek rule, there was a, a, a leader named Judah Maccabee who led this uprising and delivered the, 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 the Jewish people out under, from under the Greek rule. And when Maccabee uh, returned from this rebellion, uh, the people met him with palm branches and were just you know, swinging them around. And so the palm branches began to take on the, the meaning of like victory. And, and freedom and, and, and hope and peace. So the palm branches from, from the, that time on were like a sign, like, hey, freedom. They were like a sign of freedom. And so for them to be waving it for Jesus was really significant. For them to re- wave them for Jesus. Because remember, the people of Israel at this time were under Roman rule. At the time of Jesus, they were under the rule of the Romans. And the Romans were brutal. The Romans would, if you read stories about how they treated the Jews and then how they treated the early church, they were brutal. And so the the Jewish people wanted probably nothing more than to get out from under the rule of the Romans. And so here comes Jesus and they're saying, they're waving the palm branches saying, like, you're going to bring us freedom. You're going to bring us victory. And they're, they're saying, Hosanna which literally it translates to save us now, save us. And they're saying, you're going to save us, Jesus. You're the the king of Israel. And they're having this party celebrating that their their king had come, the one that they've been waiting for has come. But here is the strange part of the story. Just a, a few short days later, after this crowd was celebrating Jesus, Jesus was nailed to a cross. What happened? What happened in that week? How did people go from saying, you're going to save us, king, to just a few days later on Friday saying, crucify him? What happened? Well, I think what happened was the people became disappointed They were disappointed. See, they were looking for someone, a great king who was going to be a warrior who would overthrow Rome, who would free them from Rome and fight for them. And their great king Jesus, the next thing they see is he's in chains. He's in chains, he's arrested, he looks helpless. They were disappointed. They're like, oh, that's... That's the one we were hoping for. See, a lot of us know the story. Remember, Pontius Pilate comes before the the people of Israel, and it was custom at the the festival of Passover to free uh, a prisoner. Every every Passover, you would free a prisoner, and he, he brought up Jesus 
And he brought up another prisoner named Barabbas. And Barabbas was basically a freedom fighter. He was arrested for insurrection and and murder of the Romans. So he was a guy who was fighting against the Romans. So when the people had the option of someone who was going to fight for them or someone who just seemed helpless, they said, we want that guy. You know, free him, crucify him. They did it because they were disappointed in Jesus. And so what I want to talk about is what causes disappointment. What was it that caused their disappointment? And really, I believe it's the same thing that causes disappointment in us. See, disappointment is a result of expectations that haven't been met. Disappointment is a result of of expectations that haven't been met. Let me give you a really simple one. I expect that we're going to have ice cream after dinner. And when we don't have ice cream, I'm disappointed. Right? Or, or let, let's, I mean, let's take it to be a little bit more serious. I expected that I'd have a really good job at this point in my life. And, and, I, and I don't. So I'm disappointed. Or, or I, you know, I expected that I would, I would, you know, I would have kids, that me and my spouse would have kids and, and we can't have children and I'm disappointed. For the people of Israel, we expected that Jesus was going to free us from Rome and when he, he didn't come to do that, we were disappointed. And see, all throughout Israel's history, they had this hope of, of the, this one who was coming. They talked about this Messiah if you look throughout the Old Testament, it's, it is all through it. It's, it's a thread all through the Old Testament about this one who's coming, this great king, this leader who's going to do all these amazing things and was going to just be the, 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 the king of Israel. And they called him the Messiah, which literally translates to the anointed one or the chosen one. And do you know that there are over 300, between 300 and 400 prophecies in the Old Testament of the Messiah and the things he was going to do and where he would be from and and who he would be and all of these different, different prophecies. And I was reading a study a number of years ago that said that if you took the eight, you know, top prophecies, just eight of them out of the 400 that the, the odds or the probability of someone fulfilling, you know, just eight of them would be uh, one in a hundred quadrillion. Or in other words, impossible. Like one in 100 quadrillion to fulfill eight, and Jesus fulfilled every single one. You read through them, Jesus fulfilled every single one. So for the people to be like, this is, the, this is him. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one who's going to free us. And then to see him in chains. Their expectations were not met. I mean, Jesus did come to free them. Jesus did come to save them, but not in the way that they were expecting. And that led to their disappointment. So again, disappointment happens when our expectations aren't being being met. And let me say, sometimes we can have expectations 
that are fair and that are good expectations. And when they are not met, the natural result, the appropriate result is disappointment. Disappointment is not always a bad thing. It can be the result of fair expectations not being met. Like if you're married, you, you should have the expectation that your spouse will be faithful to you. And if they're not faithful, disappointment. I mean, to say the least. Or a woman should have the expectation that if she goes to work, she should not be sexually harassed. That's a fair expectation. And so when she is, or if she is, it is perfectly valid and right to be disappointed and angry or, or sad. It's appropriate. But sometimes we are disappointed because we have expectations that aren't fair. We have placed expectations on things or people that just aren't fair. Like here's one. My career, my job should give me significance, should make me feel complete, should give me my sense of purpose. My job should, give, should fulfill my sense of purpose. And it, it, it won't. It will not. Because the only thing that can fulfill significance purpose, identity, all of those like really core things that we desire is Jesus. And we've been tricked in our culture to think things like career or spouses or bank accounts or, you know, family or whatever. We've been tricked to think those things will fulfill longings that we have. And, and don't get me wrong, we can enjoy our family or enjoy our career, but they won't fulfill those deep longings in our spirit because only Jesus fulfills them. So if we expect them to, we will have a constant sense of disappointment. That's why I think Tom Brady felt disappointed. Here's another one. My spouse should know what I'm thinking without me saying anything. I see some nudging. <laughs> Can I be honest with you just for a moment? Um, the rest of the time I've, I haven't been honest, but the now. Um, just talking to married couples for a second. You know, I talk to a lot of married couples. And probably the most common issue that they're having is unfair expectations, unfair expectations placed on one another. We have tremendous expectations on our spouse that are not fair. We expect them to be, you know, our best friends, our prayer warrior, to like, you know, be the most romantic, to be the best listener, the best communicator, you know, the, all these things that no one can measure up to. And so we expect them to do all those things well, and they just won't. Or I see that there are expectations that have just never been communicated. There have been expectations that haven't been communicated, so you're going to let each other down if you don't communicate what the expectation is. I know when 
me and my wife had our first Valentine's Day. Um, you know, my wife is like, she's not like the commercial, superficial uh, type, of, type of person. So I, I just assumed you know, she's not going to care about Valentine's Day. I mean, I, I know now. Like you, you guys are judging me. I've learned. And and she and she kind of kind of played it off like it was no big deal and I, and I, and I think I even mentioned I was like hey do you want to do something she's like no nah, not really and so I remember she this is before we were married and she got home to her apartment with a roommate and her roommate's boyfriend had like decorated their whole apartment with like flowers and candy and all this stuff and Lara. Needless to say, felt very disappointed. And it was because expectations were not communicated. And maybe I should have known better. <laughs> yeah. But expectations weren't communicated. And it's super important, and not just in marriages, but in business relationships and friendships. If you have an expectation that's not being met, Sometimes you, you got to realize, well, you've never communicated that expectation. So I encourage married couples, communicate about, you know, how we're going to spend our money, how we're going to save our money, like our sexual lives, our free time. How are we going to do these things? Because sometimes some, the reason that you guys are mad at each other is you just you guys have never really communicated what the expectations are. Anyways, it's important to think about the reason why we are disappointed. What was the expectation we had? And was it a fair expectation? Was it a fair expectation? And maybe, maybe not fair, but maybe it, wasn't, it just wasn't the right expectation. Like the, the people of Israel, their expectation, it wasn't that it was unfair. It wasn't like, oh, pfft, Jesus can't save you from Rome. It was, it was actually far too small. And it just wasn't the right expectation. So for us to examine, do I have the right expectation for this situation? And sometimes it's hard to figure out if, if, if the expectation is fair or right. But I encourage you to start thinking through that and go to the Lord with it and, and pray about it. Which, which leads me to my next point. What do we do with our disappointment? What do we do with our disappointment? How do we handle it? Now, if you were hoping for a, a, a talk about how to avoid disappointment, I can't give you that because it's a part of life. It's just a part of life that you are going to face disappointment. But I think there are some things that we can do. The, the Bible promises us that in all situations, we can have things like hope and peace and joy, and love, and those things can sustain us through disappointment. So how do, we, how do we achieve those things? How do we receive those things in the midst of our dis disappointment? And I want to go through six different things, and we're going to kind of rapid fire them. So I encourage you, to, if you're a note taker, write them down and to really think through them more as, as, as you go home. But no, in no particular order, the, fir the first thing that's important to do is we grieve them. We grieve disappointments. It's really, really important. 
Psalm 34 tells us that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. He cares about your disappointments. He cares about it. We don't just suck it up. We don't just brush it away. I mean, the people of Israel, they could have, they could have grieved over what happened with their disappointment. But instead they didn't. They just they decided to react. And when we don't appropriately grieve disappointment, a lot of bad stuff happens. Like bitterness. When we sweep it under the rug, when we push it down, bitterness happens. Resentment. Anger. I mean, I think that anger that the people of Israel had was because they maybe just pushed it down. And they didn't appropriately grieve. Number two. We bring our disappointment, we bring it to Jesus. Psalm 55, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Jesus cares about your disappointments. He cares about you even if you have made a mess of things, even if you just had really bad expectations, he still cares. And he still wants to, to be with you through it. I was talking to a dear brother yesterday, right before church, who was telling me he's just gone through one of the hardest things. He, he lost a spouse uh, just a little while ago. And he said, it was, it's in that moment that I actually feel closer to Jesus. There's something about suffering and, and pain and brokenness and disappointment that we can actually get really close to Jesus. But not only do we bring them to Jesus, but we thank God. We thank Jesus. We foster thankfulness in our hearts. Philippians 4, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. See, I hear a lot of teachings about this talk or this verse. I'll see, you know, little posts on Facebook or blogs about it or people talk about it. And you know what? Oftentimes, that little portion of and thank God gets left out. People don't talk about that part, but I think it's key. I think it's vital. See, I think something happens inside of us when we foster a spirit of thankfulness. When we, when, listen, even, even psychologists will talk about this. The medical field will say your brain chemistry changes when you foster a sense of thankfulness. When you just practice being thankful and saying thanks to people, it changes your brain chemistry and it for sure changes our spirit chemistry. Something supernatural happens. Which leads to number four. We receive from him. We receive from Jesus. Too often in our prayer lives, we just go to Jesus and we vent or we ask him for something, and then we just leave. 
Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He wants to give you what you need. He wants to give you that peace. He wants to give you that joy. He wants to give you that hope. But we need to receive it from him. We need to receive it from him. I mean, the people of Israel could have, they, they could have received from the Lord. I'm sure God wanted to do things in their heart. But instead, they just went off and did what they, were plan- what they wanted to do. They could have fostered a sense of thankfulness. They could have went to the Lord, but I'm, I don't think they did. I think they just did what they wanted. Number five, we need to think from an eternal perspective. Corinthians 4 says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, I think the people of Israel were so fixated on the temporary, on this life. And I relate. Sometimes I feel as though this life is all I have. That these, you know, how many, how many years we have here on earth, that's all I have. And I fixate on the temporary. But listen, we are not temporary beings. We are eternal beings. We were created to live in eternity with Jesus. And yeah, while our earthly bodies, they may be temporary, we will live on with Jesus. And if we fixate on eternity... And what God has for us in the eternal, man, it will change our perspective. So the hardships that we're facing now, we just, this is temporary, but I have eternity with you, Jesus. Number six, we put our faith in God. What I mean by that is we trust him. We trust him. Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, those things that we were talking about, as you trust in him so that you may overflow with the hope and the power of the Holy Spirit. So important that we put our trust and our faith in God and say, no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening, no matter how hard the situation is, I trust that you are in control. I trust that you are good. I trust that you are faithful. I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust in you and keep on doing the things that you've called me to do. But that leads me to, to my final kind of question, my final thing I wanna talk about. What if we're disappointed with him? What if we have disappointment with Jesus? See, I think that's what the Israelites, I think that's what the people of Israel, what they were disappointed in. They weren't, I don't think they were just disappointed because they were under Roman rule or because their life situation was a bummer. I think they were disappointed in Jesus. That he didn't do what they had hoped he would do. How many times have you felt like that? I I felt like that. 
Jesus, if you, if you are good, then you would help me in this situation. Jesus, if you were good, you would, you would fix this. You would change this. Jesus, if you were as powerful as the Bible says you are, then you could do something about this. Why, why don't you? I mean, I, I've shared with, with many of you guys, I, I walked away from the Lord in you know, the first half of my 20s. And the reason was, I would have told you at the time, it was because of theological reasons, but it wasn't. It was for very personal reasons. And really, if I had to boil it, it was because I was disappointed with God. I felt like, I felt like he abandoned me. I felt like he wasn't helping me. So what do you do when you feel disappointed with God? Have you felt like that? Maybe you feel like that right now. Well, I think some of those, I mean, all of those six principles that we talked about, they apply to this too. They apply to this. We do the same thing, but I think there are a couple things I want to talk about, about being disappointed with God. First off, you need to understand that God isn't afraid of our disappointment. He's not afraid. You don't have to be like, oh, I can't say that to God. He's not afraid of it. He invites it. He's not afraid of your anger. He's not afraid of it or your frustration. Not only can we go to him with these things, we should. We should. You know, there are so many places in the Bible that people go to God and voice their frustration with him. They voice their anger with him or their disappointment in him. And you read through the Psalms, I mean, this is all throughout the, the, the writings of David where David would literally say things like, how long are you going to just sit up there when are you going to do something about this? People are trying to kill me, God. Do something. What's it going to take? There's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. That's full of laments. Full of laments are just like voicing your frustration to God. It's full of them. That's what the whole book is about. And let me just say, I think God intentionally put those things in the Bible. I think he put their, them in there on purpose and I, and I for one am so glad that he did because we need to lament. We need to go to him and say these things. He's a good father. He wants to hear when we're frustrated. He wants to hear when we're angry. Lord, I'm upset that you won't change this situation. Lord, I am disappointed that this is what, I feel like you could have done something about this and I feel like you didn't. But here's the key. And this is very, very important. Is a good lament always, always ends with the truth about who God is. God, I am angry about this. God, I am angry that you didn't you know heal my 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 daughter or you didn't you know fix my marriage but i know that you are faithful but i know that you are good 
but I know that you are powerful, you are kind, you are in control. What? It ends with the truth about who God is. Because we need to understand that the problem is not on his end. It's not. The problem is on this side. The problem is on this side. See, I've heard a lot of people talk about this idea, and it's nothing new, but I've just heard it a lot recently about this idea about forgiving God. Like, hey, we need, you need to forgive God for that thing that happened. You need to forgive God for the, the, you know, that situation that didn't work out. And let me just say, you never have to forgive God. He has never done anything that he needs to be forgiven from. And it's not only theologically wrong, but it's actually harmful to us when we take that posture. Because essentially we're saying that we are the judge. We are taking his throne. And we're saying we are the judge. We are the, the arbiter of justice. We are the one who says what's right and what's wrong. And it's our job to forgive you. It is his job to forgive us. See, when we're angry at God, just like the people of Israel who are angry with what happened with Jesus, when we're angry with Jesus, it is because our expectations were incorrect of what he had come to do in our lives. And, and listen, don't get me wrong. I know people are going through really, really hard things really difficult things, and I don't say this lightly. I don't. But sometimes when we think Jesus has come to save us from this extremely difficult situation, I think our expectations of what he's come to do is wrong. I think he's come to do so much more. Something so much bigger. Listen, Jesus says, or actually... This is in the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, speaking on behalf of God, said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, his thoughts are higher than ours. His his plan, the way he operates, we're not on his level. We might think this makes sense, but we just don't get it. Let me give you an example. See, I have a daughter named Olive. She's four years old and she's awesome. She has like such a a compassionate heart. She she loves praying for sick people. She she just has a heart for people who are being left out and, and, and broken people. But she also has a bit of an attitude. And we're working on that. When she doesn't get her way, she's a little stinker and she can just, you know, either throw a fit or, or be manipulative or give me the stink. Let me hear. A couple weeks ago, she had her first ballet recital. And right before the ballet recital, her teacher didn't let her have her way with something really small and put up this picture. This was the result. Olive staring, and she's staring right at her ballet teacher. The whole performance. And the whole time, me and Lara were like, oh no, what do we do? 
But Olive just doesn't realize, like she'll do these things where, you know, what do you want, what, what do you want for dinner, baby? Ice cream. You can't have ice cream for dinner. Well, I guess you don't love me. Or, or, or she'll give me that look. And, and it's, you know what? We laugh about it. And I just want to say, listen, Olive, you, you don't know life like I do. I know you can't eat ice cream and be healthy. I know that you can't, you know, play all day. You got to learn. You got to do things that are hard and you got to face the consequences of this thing that you're doing. You just don't understand life like I do. Essentially, I'm saying my ways are higher than your ways. That's the attitude we give to God, isn't it? That's the attitude I give to God where it's like, God, fix this situation. Help me, help me, help me. And when he says, no, not right now. I guess you don't love me. Or staring, like, it's the truth. He's saying, listen, you're, I'm, I'm smarter than you. I know what's best for you. Our thoughts aren't his thoughts. And really, we're not forgiving God. What we're doing, what we need to do when we're disappointed with Jesus, the main thing we need to do is repent. We need to repent. And not repent that we've done this horrible thing, we need to feel shame. And What I mean by that is repent just means to turn away from. It just means to turn away from and to say, you know, God, I'm angry with you. I'm frustrated with you, and I'm going to tell you why. But I, don't want, I, don't, I know I shouldn't be angry with you because I know you've done nothing wrong. So I want to give you this disappointment. I want to give you this anger, and, and I want to receive your peace. I want to receive your love and your forgiveness. That's all we need to do. It's so much different, and, and it's a process, and we walk through it, but we never need to forgive him. And we never need to, we, we just need to go to him and say, this is how I feel, and, I, and I, I want to give it to you, and I want to receive what you have for me. So I'm going to end with this thought. You know, the story of Palm Sunday, you know, I, I focused on one side of it, the disappointment side of it, but it, you know, it's a really cool story. It's a story of celebration where they're celebrating, they're getting a, more of a glimpse of who Jesus is, and they're celebrating him. They knew there was something special about him. And on this side of the cross, we have a better understanding, right? So Palm Sunday takes on a new meaning to us. Because we know what Jesus really came to save us from. And it takes, it takes on a new, new meaning because while that one was full of false expectations, we have better expectations now. But let me say, some of our expectations are still false. And we still have a life full of disappointment. But there is a Palm Sunday that is coming. It's going to be amazing. I want to read you about it. Revelation chapter 7. It says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every tr nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
See, a Palm Sunday is coming where there'll be no more disappointments. Tells us that there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more death, no more broken marriages, no more school shootings, no more racism, no more hatred, No more cancer. There's a Palm Sunday that's coming where where our Jesus, our great deliverer, our great savior is gonna say, I am gonna make all things new. That thing that you are dealing with right now, that it was a very fair expectation and and that you are disappointed and, 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 and frustrated about, he says, I'm gonna make it new. I'm going to make it right. That's our hope. There's a Palm Sunday that's coming that's going to be the most beautiful day in in the history of the world. So why don't we stand? Just calm, Holy Spirit. We bow our heads. I feel, I feel like there are some people here who, right, as I was talking about all this stuff, you, you, you've kind of felt like your heart was like stirring. And I feel like you have never uh, entered into a relationship with Jesus. You've never accepted him into your life and you've never started like a journey with him, walking with him. And, and I think he's saying, I want, I, want, I want you today. You're my kid and I want you back. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to say a prayer, and if you want to pray it silent with, silently with me, if you want to accept Jesus for the first time. Jesus, I admit that I have sinned, that I've done wrong. And I just want to accept your forgiveness, and I want to enter into a relationship with you. And I don't know what that looks like, but I want to start today. And with our heads bowed, if you said that prayer with me, can you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. Okay. We can, we can raise our heads. So I think the Lord was saying that there's some of us who have faced major disappointments. And we are in the midst of it. And the Lord wants to give and wants us to receive from him this morning. So um, I want to invite you forward to to receive from the Lord. And this is a great place to do it. There is freedom in this place. It says when the two or more are gathered, he is there with us, and he is with us. And to come with a brother or sister to just lay a hand on your shoulder and pray for you, there can be a lot of freedom that happens in this. So we're going to sing one final worship song, and I want you to come forward to receive from, from the Lord, whatever he has for you. And also, if you are, if you are dealing with any physical ailments, any sickness, any pain, I, I, I really get a strong sense that the Lord wants to heal this morning. So Naomi's gonna lead us in one final song, but um, if you just wanna make your way forward to get some prayer. And any disappointment, whether it's financial, if it's uh, just 
disappointment with family, if your children are struggling. I, I felt like specifically there was things with children. So, so just come on forward. to be Carpenter had a, had, a, had a picture of palm trees uh, just l- bowing down. And she felt like it was a picture of people surrendering their lives to Jesus. And I, and I think that's a word for all of us, that, that as, as we go forward, that we would live a life that is in full surrender, saying, Jesus, all that I am is yours. All that I have is yours. 
So Lord, we just pray that that would be true for us, that as we leave this place, that you know, as we face disappointments, as we face hard things, that we can just do it in a way that is biblical and godly, that we can trust you, that we can live a life surrendered to you that would bring honor to you, that would bring glory to you, that we could be a light to this world. Just simply by the way we live, people would know that, that we serve an awesome God. So we love you, Jesus. Be glorified in your name. Amen.